You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. Welcome to WTUZ Radio Podcast. I am your host, Rhonda. And today's podcast, we're going to let's talk about reparations, who, what, and why. Now, uh, last week, there was a bit of a rumble about a couple folks coming out against reparations and then a couple folks um, that are for reparations. So just to be clear, when I speak on reparations, there's been a conversation for quite some time about uh, melanated people, aka African Americans, receiving reparations, right? So now, and, and to receive those reparations based on slavery, all right? So meaning ancestors being enslaved. All right, so we're going to get into this. For some of you, this is not, some of you that are familiar with me, familiar with the platform, this will be no surprise to you. For those of you that are new to the platform, this will be a surprise to you. Um, So for all I am going to give the reasons why I go. I am going in the direction that I am going in. And I'm also going to prove to you why it will never happen. Okay, so uh, let's start with an article that just came out in the BBC in 2019. Should Black Americans get slavery reparation? How does a country recover from centuries of slavery and racism? In the U.S., a growing number of voices are saying the answer is reparations. Reparations are restitution for slavery and apology and repayment to black citizens whose ancestors were forced into the slave trade. Okay. It's a policy notion that many black academics and advocates have long called for but one that politicians have largely sidestepped or ignored. And we're going to get into why they're sidestepping and ignoring. But increased activism around racial inequality, inequalities and discussing among Democrat 2020 president candidates have thrust the issue into the national spotlight. This week, talk of reparations made headlines after a Fox News contributor argued against the policy by saying that the U.S. actually deserved more credit for ending slavery as quickly as it did. Okay, although that's a piss poor argument, but we're going to get into why uh, folks are sidestepping. American America came along as the first country to end it within 150 years, and we get no credit for that, Katie Pavlich said on Tuesday, adding that reparations would only inflame racial tensions even more. Okay, so even that particular part isn't true about America being the first. Uh, The backlash to her comments from liberals and activists was swift. 
Bernice King, daughter of Martin Luther King Jr., responded by saying, America doesn't deserve credit for ending slavery when the ideologies are still prevalent. Uh, Okay, so they're going to go into the history. The talk of repaying African-Americans has been around since the Civil War era, when centuries of slavery officially ended. Some experts have calculated the worth of black labor during slavery as anywhere from billions to trillions of dollars, adding in exploitative Low-income work post-slavery pushes those figures even higher. Even after the technical end of the slave trade, Black Americans were denied education, voting rights, and the right to own property, treated in many ways as second-class citizens. The, those arguing for reparations point to these historical inequalities as reasons for current schisms between white and Black Americans when it comes to income, housing, healthcare, and incarceration rates. Professor Derek Hamilton, executive director of Ohio State's Kerwin Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnicity, says this history is part of the America's unique problem. From our founding fabric, we have based our politics and economic institutions on chattel slavery, he told BBC, which makes our institution not only Pernious, but uh, structurally entrenched in equality, inequalities. All right, so they're going to give a brief history of slavery. Uh, They're saying a a timeline. 1619, some of the first African slaves uh, are purchased in Virginia by English colony through slaves. Those slaves had been used by European colonists long before, okay? So kind of keep paying attention to their timeline of slavery because when I get into the whys, you're going to go, oh, okay. 1788, the U.S. Constitution is ratified under its slaves are considered by law to be three-fifths of a person. 1808, President Thomas Jefferson officially ends the African slave trade but domestic slave trade, particularly in the southern states, began to flow, to grow, rather. This one is really, really important, although they're still twisting it, okay? Uh, but we're, we're, we're going to come back to this. 1822, freed African Americans found Liberia in West Africa as a new home for freed slaves, okay? We'll address that. Abraham Lincoln becomes the first president of the U.S. The Southern states succeeded, and the Civil War began the following year. 1862, President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation frees all slaves in the seceded states. 1865, the the South loses the war. The 13th Amendment to the Constitution formally abolishes slavery. 1868, the 14th Amendment grants free African-American citizenship. 1870, uh, the 15th Amendment gives African-American men the right to vote. The Southern, the South begins passing seg- segregation laws. Uh, and then it goes in arguing for reparation. Professor Hamilton says the impact of slavery continues to manifest in American society. 
The material consequences consequence is vivid with the racial wealth gap. Uh, psychologically, the consequence is how we treat blacks without dignity that we dehumanize them in public spaces. From policies excluding primarily black populations, like uh, Social Security once did, to pushing narratives that blame black Americans for their economic problems. Professor Hamilton says the U.S. has structural problems that must be addressed in order to move forward. So uh, it's given a chart on uh, household incomes by race, and it starts in uh, 1967, and you can just see the gap, meaning melanated slash black folks' income is vastly lower, almost half, than their uh, Caucasian, a.k.a. white, counterparts. Uh, in 2014, journalist Tadishi Coates brought similar ideas into the national conversation with his piece, The Case for Reparations. Coates detailed how housing policy and wealth gaps in particular most clearly illustrate the ways black citizens are still affected by Americans' past. Decades of segregation kept black families away from white areas which had better access to education, health care, food, and other necessities, while institutionalized discrimination hindered Black Americans' economic development. As we, go back fur- as we further go back in our history, one can see it as explicitly violent, Professor Hamilton says. Now it might be implicitly violent. Subconscious racism in police forces Enduring bias against black Americans in the courts and financial institutions are some examples of that subtle violence he adds. Okay, um, so we're going to get down to the support for reparations today remains largely divided along racial lines. A 2016 March poll found 58% of black Americans were in favor of reparations, while 81% of white Americans opposed the idea. A 2018 data for progress survey also found reparations to be unpopular among the general public and especially so among white Americans. One argument against reparation echoes what Fox Miss Palvich said that they would only build walls between Americans. Some contend that the reason reparations have worked elsewhere, namely Germany, which has paid billions to Holocaust survivors since the end of World War II, is because the reparations are between nations, not within one. For the United States to do the same for the descendants of slaves would be to imply that afterwards we will be going our separate ways with no special obligation on either side. Columnist Megan McArdle wrote for the Washington Post. Now pay attention to what they're saying the definition of the reparations are. A one-time payment and then nothing more old. That is the only concept of reparations that could possibly be politically viable. Now, those that that are for reparations, 
specifically melanated folk, a.k.a. black folk, a.k.a. African-Americans, want you to listen to what I'm saying carefully. This is the definition that is being put out for reparations. A one-time payment and then nothing more owed. That is the only conception of reparations that could possibly be politically viable. It would be utterly toxic, ultimately widening division that we're trying to shrink. All right. What I wanted you to pay attention to is the one-time payment. Okay. But we're going to get a little deeper into this. Even for some black activists, reparations seem an unreasonable ask. Uh, Bayard Rustin, who organized the March on Washington and was a friend of Martin Luther King Jr., called it a ridiculous idea. If my great-great-grandfather picked cotton for 50 years, then he may deserve some money, but he's dead and gone, and nobody owes me anything, Mr. Rustin told the New York Times in 1969. Hmm. So somebody that was uh, cool on the King, Dr. Martin Luther King side, said that. Hmm. All right, let's continue. He later expanded on the views, writing that a payout would deem the integrity uh, or demean, I'm sorry, demean the integrity of blacks and exploit white guilt. Hmm. We're still going to get a little deeper into that. (laughs) This once I start bringing out these facts. All right. It is insulting to Negroes to offer them reparations for past generations for suffering as if the balance of an irreparable past could be set straight with a handout. How reparations work. A monetary payout. I want y'all to pay attention. You African Americans, melanated people, black people, I want you to pay attention to, they keep talking about a monetary payout. A monetary payout to black Americans usually come to mind when discussing reparations in the U.S. And critics are quick to point out that such a payment would cost the U.S. trillions. But just throwing cash at the issue, advocates say, would not address the root of the problem. Professor Hamilton told the BBC he supports a payout mostly as a symbolic gesture or gesture. In any case, Where there's an injustice to achieve justice, not only do you need the the acknowledgement, you need the restitution. We need to couple it with an economic justice bill of rights, he adds. Simply paying the debt doesn't address the structural problems America has with certain classes of Americans being able to extract and exploit. Right, so I want y'all to remember all of this. They're talking about um, white guilt, payouts, extract and exploit. But acknowledgement isn't trivial, he said. It would help refute existing narratives that dehumanizing black Americans as lazy or dysfunctional. Economics William Darity has also suggested a portfolio of reparations that would combine payments with black-oriented policies focusing on funding 
Black education, healthcare, and asset building, as well as ensuring that public schools properly teach the full impact of slavery. Child, this article just gets worse and worse. And once I start going into the truth, you'll see why this article gets worse and worse. So William Darity now suggests pretty much programs because that, that's what he's saying, okay? What have Democrats' candidates said? President Barack Obama never endorsed a reparations policy, nor did 2016 candidate Hillary Clinton. But next year, presidential uh, contenders have been more outspoken. Uh, Camilla Harris has said she's in favor of some type of reparations. So all of you all that voted for Biden and Harris, remember what she said. Now, she's not going to stick to it. Just remember what she said. All right. In February, she told the Grail, we have to recognize that everybody did not start out on equal footing in this country. And in particularly, black people have not. She's had she has proposed the Lift Act, which would give families earning under one hundred thousand dollars annually a tax credit, benefiting 60 percent of the black families who are in poverty. The California Democrats also suggested policies investing in black communities through black colleges and healthcare programs, for example. Okay, uh, Elizabeth Warren has also expressed support for reparations, calling racial injustice a stain on America that has happened generation after generation. All right, so here's what she's saying. Because of housing discrimination and employment discrimination, we live in a world where the average white family has $100 and the average black family has about $5. It's time to start the national full-blown conversations about reparations in this country. Ms. Warren said she's in favor of a bill currently in the House of Representatives to appoint a panel of experts to report back to Congress about what can be done to solve these issues. Okay, so you heard what Elizabeth Warren said. Here's Bernie Sanders. Some uh, Bernie Sanders saw some backlash during the last presidential election over rejecting the idea, but he maintains that a reparation check would not fix the problem. Right now, our job is to address the crises facing American people and our communities, and I think there are better ways to do that than just writing a check. Mr. Sanders said, rather than supporting a payout, He is in favor of universal programs or anti-poverty measures that would help all underprivileged communities. right, let's see what uh, Cory Booker said. Like Ms. Harris has proposed a form of reparations, baby bonds would create a trust fund for lower income children and they could use for education or housing. As more black families are impoverished than whites, the policy would help address racial inequalities, broadly speaking. Former San Antonio Mayor Julian Castle said the idea of reparations was something worth discussing. Mr. Castro said he is also in favor of an expert panel that could study the issue and inform Congress how best to proceed. <laughs> All right, and then author Marianne Williamson has said she supports a reparational plan. 
she has floated the idea of a hundred billion educational, economic, and cultural fund to be dispersed over a ten-year period by a council of esteemed African American leaders. To Professor Hamilton, regardless of policy, the fact that these conversations are happening is a step forward. The conversation is, I'm sorry, the conversation in and of itself is valuable. It's opening the door to reframe our understanding of racial inequality. Okay, so uh, again, this was a article from the BBC News. Uh, March 2019, should black Americans get reparations for slavery? All right. So. Uh, just real quick, this came out last week. We're now President Obama. <coughs> this is out of the Daily Mail. Although it was all over the news media last week. We're uh, now President Obama calls for reparations for black Americans because the wealth of this country was built on the black back of slaves. But says he couldn't get it done as president due to the Politics of white resistance. Former President Obama claimed reparations for black Americans are justified, but explained in his podcast with Bruce Springsteen that it was a non-starter during his presidency because of white resistance. During his 2008 presidential campaign, Obama appeared to oppose reparations and argued that the best reparations we can provide are good schools in the inner city and jobs for people who are unemployed. Now, I'll pause for a second and just remind folks, he did neither. Okay, the reparations, that's a separate topic. We're going to get into a little bit more deeper of why it'll never happen. And if it does happen, here is the cost, the true cost behind it happening. All right. But President O said to provide good schools in the inner city and jobs. You didn't even do that. Obama 59 has launched an eight episode podcast series called Renegades born in the U S with the 71 year old rock legend released through Spotify's partnership with the Obama higher ground production company. In the second episode released on Monday, Obama and Springsteen spoke about race relations in the United States. Um, okay. All right. Springsteen asked Obama how he could hold the same country that sent a man to the moon and is the same country of the Jim Crow laws, which were state and local statutes that legalized racial segregation and marginalized black Americans. All right. So I'm not going to read through the rest of this. Um, cause I want to get into the real reason behind the divide on reparations. Now, I'm talking from a political perspective because those in politics, now I'm not going to say everybody in politics, but those higher up in politics, they absolutely know why reparations 
is not only controversial, but they cannot be paid out the way it is being suggested, meaning that melanated people, a.k.a. black, a.k.a. African-Americans, can receive a blanket payout. Okay? They know the, the real reason why. And if there is a blanket payout, you better believe there's going to be a catch to it. And you ask, well, Rhonda, why is that? Because here's the biggest secret. Now, those of you that have rocked with me, you already know where I'm going with that. Okay? So this is just a reminder to you all. And it's also, if you are so happen to be in conversations with folks, uh, especially those ADOS groups that's talking about reparations, thinking that they're speaking for all of melanated people, you can have a conversation based on facts versus their conversation based on facts versus fiction, fact and fiction, because they have a little bit of facts and their little bit of facts is based on the conditions of today. That we all know is factual. But the part that is fiction is what really the crust of their argument for reparations is. It's based on slavery. That's the fictional part of the story on who did what when. So let's get to it. Now, uh, let's start with the myth. It's not a fact. It is a myth that white folks, specifically white Europeans, started colonization. All right? So particularly colonization around the world, and specifically in this case that we're speaking on, the colonization in America. That's just not so. You know why it's not so? Because whites, a.k.a. Caucasians, did not hold the seat of power. Yeah, that's right. Whites, a.k.a. Caucasians, did not hold the seat of power during colonization. There were melanated European kings and queens that held the seat of power. Okay? So, um, <clears throat> a good source of read, read there's, there's plenty of resources out there, but uh, two that I've become fond of when it's regarding uh, the melanated thrones over in Europe because it's well put together, gives its sources, and it's an easy read. You should literally be able to give this book to a high schooler, a middle schooler, and they would get a lot out of it, all right? Uh, And it's a quick read. And it gives you the sources where you can dig even deeper 
for more information. So the first one I'm going to go to is the Negro question part, part four, the missing link. This is by Lee Cummings. And in this book, uh, this particular author, he goes into the genealogy of the European throne. And he proves that the throne of Europe was held by melanated folks. All right, so I'm just going to start on page eight of his book. And again, this is the Negro Question Part 4, The Missing Link by Lee Cummings. I'm just going to start on Part 8 to just give you a quick high level of the genealogy of these melanated, a.k.a. black kings. The Scottish kings of England. Right? So in this particular... um, on page two, he provides the true image of King James, who's clearly melanated. And this image is from the New College Library at Edinburgh, UK. I know that this image of a black King James can be a little confusing, but of your Western education. But this is the truth that is known by the rich and elite in the world. That was the reason I paraded all of the English historians and professors before you because I got into the bowels of this book. Before I got into the bowels of this book, I had to get your mind ready to receive the truth. King James came from a long line of black Scottish Stuart kings. 343 years of rulership in Scotland. The stewards are not only ruled in Scotland, not only ruled in Scotland, they ruled in France, Spain, Ireland, England, Britain, Wales. Okay, so I'm just going to go back over that again, okay, because I want you all to clearly understand when we're having this conversation of reparations about why folks should be receiving what, And why I am telling you that it'll never happen. And if it does happen, there's going to be a stipulation to it. Let me just read that just a little bit. This little sentence again. King James came from a long line of black Scottish steward kings. 343 years of rulership in Scotland. The stewards not only ruled in Scotland, they ruled in France, Spain, Ireland, and England, Britain, and Wales. King James was able to rule all of these lands because all of these people were of Iberian black descent. They were the same people. If you look at the ball in his hand, it represents the world rulership and there were only one other group of world leaders who used that type of symbolism. And they were the Byzantine Roman emperors. You see what what he's proving to you all? How far back these melanated bloodlines go in reference to rulership? 
Remember, they told the English that they were Roman citizens. This is the proof. There was another man who made the same boast, and if you have wisdom, you know who I'm talking about. This is one of the signs of scholarship when you are able to read the symbolism of images. In my research, I found out that the ancient Scottish were a tribe from northeastern Ireland, which means the Scots are really Irish. So if I have seen an ancient Scot, I have seen an ancient Irishman. And if I have seen an ancient Irishman, then I have seen an ancient Briton. Okay, so he goes into the list of Scottish kings, Robert II uh, from 1371 to 1390, Robert III until 1406, James I until 1437. Now, these are all melanated folks. Let's keep this in mind. Let's keep this in mind. James II uh, to 1460, James III until 1488. Uh, James the fourth until fifteen fifteen thirteen, James the fifth until fifteen forty two, Mary Queen of Scots until fifteen sixty seven, James the sixth. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. James the sixth and first of England until sixteen twenty five. Okay, so uh, just to refresh your memory. Uh, let me go back to that first article when it was talking about when it started breaking down the timeline. 1619, some of the first African slaves are purchased in Virginia by English colonists through slaves have been used by European colonists long before. Okay, so I'm going down the list of these European monarch who are melanated, okay? So, what was who, who was ruling in that 1619 period? It was James VI. Okay, then after James, you had the Charles era. Charles came in, what, 1629 to 1649. Then the second was 1685, and then James and Mary, 1694, and then uh, it was um, 1707, okay? But now, according to their timeline, 1619, because they love to use that 1619 date. That's when the first African slaves, that's what they say now, are purchased in Virginia. But black monarch was in power. So now, what are we talking about regarding reparations? Okay, so you can go through uh, this book and he is going to have the receipts proving that all of those kings were melanated. He digs up archive pictures, etc., etc.
All right. Let's talk about this slavery conversation. Right. So now I'm going into the second book, The Negro Question, Part Six, The 13 Black Colonies by Lee Cummings. And again, I highly recommend you pick up both of these books. They're really collector's items. I, I feel they are because it's a great way to introduce folks to this true history. And again, you can take the sources that he provides you and dig a little deeper as well. All right. So this is the Negro question part six, the 13 black colonies by Lee Cummings. I'm on page 47 chapter four, the 13 black colonies. All right. Child, let me get my old eyes together because <laughs> this part is um, a little small. Okay, so you got Virginia. Uh, hold on, y'all. I got to read this part because I want us to be clear. So just a second, family. Bear with me here. All right, so. Uh, the 13 black colonies, the original 13 colonies, Virginia, six, 1607. Okay. Now remember, I said the first African slave was traded in 1619. Okay. But these are the 13 black colonies, the original 13 colonies. Virginia, 1607, Massachusetts, 1620, New Hampshire, 1623, New York, which was formerly New Amsterdam because the Dutch had it, all right? But New York, which York is named after the Duke of York, which uh, was King James, all right? So again, New York was named after Duke, the Duke of York, which was King James. So New York is named after King James, who is a melanated, a.k.a. black man. All right, so New York, uh, 1625, and then they have in Perrin, 1664, Maryland, 1632, Connecticut, 1636, Rhode Island, 1636, Delaware, 1638, North Carolina, 1663, New Jersey, 1664, South Carolina, 1664, Pennsylvania, 1681, Georgia, 1782. We have been taught in classrooms that slavery existed in the 13 colonies, but it is impossible. There was a Council of Westminster... 1102 that was held in London that ruled the particular institution of slavery was illegal. The English Magna Carta of 1215 held that all men have the right to liberty. Then there was a case in England in 1569 in which a Russian by the name of Cartwright was being uh, was seen beating his slave. He was arrested and brought before the courts and tried. The Court of England ruled that the institution of slavery is not recognized in England. 
All right, so wait a minute, huh? What, huh? Uh, scratch the head, huh? Uh-huh. What, what? I thought that they said one one um commentator would she really need to get it all the way together, honey, or have several seats. If y'all can't do the research, you should not be in front of the uh, media. But then again, that's all they're going to put in front of the media and hand them a script. So America could not have possibly been the first ones to quote, quote, end slavery. Now, even before I got into this particular type of research, this side of the house, um, I had a co-worker who is a uh, Brit. And she would always give me shit, uh, uh, a Caucasian co- uh, co-worker, cool as hell. We we always have a good, great time. She really a cool lady. But she would also always say, well, you know that um, England, we, we had gotten rid of slavery a long time ago. Uh, American, you all are so behind. And then I would also throw back on her. Yeah, but who brought their ass over here starting shit and taking shit? So, you know, I always had a good comeback for her. All right? So, if in 1569 there was a case, and this is in Russia, and yes, even that throne of Russia was melanated, um, oh boy, had went to court, and um, he got in trouble for having a slave. The reason I have cited all these cases and laws is to prep you for the truth that the slavery was not recognized in England. The black Scottish Stuart kings wrote in each charter that the laws of the colonies must be consistent with those in England. This is the reason why there was no slavery in the original 13 colonies. Now, Here we go. The first king to break the Magna Carta was King George II in 1752. He was not a Scot. He was a black German. Benjamin Franklin said that the Germans were swathy. Swathy means black. So I don't care who have a problem with that. That's your business. Go look up the etymology. Swathi means black. In 1751, which was 19 years after the founding of Georgia. Okay? So, let's say that there was slavery. Let's say that there was. Definitely wasn't. White folk involved in it. White folks didn't authorize it if there was, in fact, indeed slavery. And there was not just the way they are telling you it was. The folks that held the seat of power at the time were melanated folks. The founding fathers of the 13 colonies We're melanated folks. All right. So let's get to 
All right, so who were really the slaves? What is really going on? Yada, yada, yada. Woo, woo, woo. One, two, three, four, five. All right, so I'm going to go to a book. And those of you that's been rocking with me, you all are familiar with all of these books. Um, <clears throat> this one is, They Were White and They Were Slaves, The Untold History of the Enslavement of Whites in Early America by Michael A. Hoffman II. All right, <clears throat> I'm on page 12. Of the fact that the wealth of Barbados was founded on the backs of white slave labor, there can be no doubt. Wait a minute, what? Of the fact that the wealth of Barbados was founded on the backs of white slave labor, there can be no doubt. White slave laborers from Britain and Ireland were the main stay of the sugar colonies. Until the mid-1640s, there were few blacks in Barbados. George Downing wrote on John Withorp, the colonial governor of Massachusetts in 1645, that planters who wanted to make a fortune in the British West Indies must procure white slave labor out of England if they wanted to succeed. And his source is Elizabeth Donan Documents, illustrative of the history of the slave trade of Americas. Huh? What? Uh, yeah. Okay. So now that was in 1640s. All right, let me just flip back and see. Do, 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 do. Who's the king? In 1640, I want to say James, but I don't, I don't want to lie. I don't want to lie on him. So let's flip back. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. It, okay. I would have been lying. That was Charles the first. That was Charles the first in 1640. All right. Okay, um, so it says uh, the many graduations of unfreedom among whites made it difficult to draw fast lines between any idealized free white worker and a pitted or scorned uh, servile black worker. In short, labor short 17th and 18th century America, the work of slaves and the white servants were virtually interchangeable. All right. So now you're getting down to. Was it slavery or was it a labor contract, a.k.a. indentured servitude? And so here blood was saying that um, it was difficult to distinct to make any distinction between free white workers or black workers in labor short 17th and 18th century America. All right. So the source for that is David R. Um, Road Didger, the wages of whiteness race and the making of the American working class. Okay. 
So now let's go back to that original argument of reparations. Because according to their argument, it's based on African slaves, melanated people, melanated American people being descendants of African slaves. And the white folks were the ones that were the colonists and the enslavers. But yet, but yet, who held the seat of throne during those time frames? Uh, What? Melanated kings held that seat of power? Oh, wait a minute. Now there were white folks that could also be considered slaves? Oh, wait a minute. Slavery and indentured servitude, meaning work labor contracts. Huh. That's kind of muddying, muddying the waters. All right. So um, on the next page. Uh. Let's see. It says the disciplinary and revenue laws of early Virginia, 1631 to 1645, did not discriminate Negroes in bondage from whites in bondage. Huh? That's what it says again. From 1631 to 1645, did not discriminate Negroes in bondage from white bondage. Sources, William Henning, Statues at Large of Virginia. For records of wills in which lands, goods, and chattels, cattle, monies, Negro, English servants, horses, sheep, and household stuff were all sold together. See the Lancaster County records in Virginia, Colony or colonial, sorry, abstracts. Huh? So you mean Negroes and whites were put down on those records together as property? But remember the argument. Remember the argument for reparations. ADOS, remember your argument for reparations. All right, so uh, in a statement smuggled out of the New World and published in London, whites in bondage did not call themselves indentured servitude servants. In their writings, they referred to themselves as England's slaves and England's merchandise. The source is Marcellus Rivers and Oxenbridge Foley, England's Slavery, 1649. Okay, so the whites didn't even consider themselves the indentured servants. They considered themselves English slaves. Okay, still waiting on them African slaves they've been talking about because that's the that's the crutch. That's the foundation of the reparations argument. That's the crutch. That's the foundation of the ADOS argument. 
Eyewitnesses like uh, Pierre Labat, who visited the West Indian slave plantation of the 17th century, which were built and manned by white slaves, labeled them white slaves, and nothing less. Memoirs of uh, Pierre Labat, 1693 to 1705. Even blacks refer to the white forced laborers in the colonies as white slaves. Colonial Office, Public Records Office, London. The height of the academic and media fraud is revealed in the monopolistic trademark status. The official controllers of education and mass communications have successfully established between the definition of the word slave and the Negro. While labeling descriptions of the historic experience of whites in slavery as a fallacy. Yet the very word slave, which the establishment consensus school of history pretends cannot legitimately be applied to whites, is derived, now he's saying it's derived from the word slav. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the word slave is another name for the white people of Eastern Europe, the Slavs. All right. So he's basing this on the um, Oxford English Dictionary. All right. Because I know some people dispute that. Right. But that's what he's basing his take on it. In other words, slave has always been a term for and a definition of servile condition of white people yet we are told by the uh professional crats that it is not correct to refer to the whites as slave but only as servants even though the very root of the word is derived from the historical fact of white slavery all right so that's his argument for saying basically that instead of categorizing uh white folks conditions as just indentured servants, that it was uh, slavery. But either way, even if you don't want to say that it was slavery, it was indentured servitude, it sounded a hell of a lot. Their conditions were atrocious, all right? Now, if you get on the indentured servitude side, what you'll... Uh, find out from multiple other sources that it was a labor contract. I'll say that again. The indentured servant or servitude was a labor contract. So meaning in order for to have passage to come to the Americas from Europe, they would be put on an indentured servant contract for the purpose of labor, of working over in the Americas. So working the land, that was a way for them to pay back their debt for the uh, for uh, getting passageway over to the Americas, all right? And then uh, some of it also was serving out a prison sentence. Now, particularly... In France, uh, King Louis's brother, we're still talking melanated Europeans now, melanated empires, uh, kings and queens. Uh, Louis's brother, 
Philippe. That, yeah, that was his name, Philippe. Pretty much put Louis on game because um, when they were talking about going to explore the new world and to start getting profit from the new world, because France was broke, because Pimpalicious Louis liked to spend too much and he bankrupted his nation. And so his soldiers like, no, blood, you owe us from the other wars. So they knew they couldn't go back to their regular soldiers and ask them that, uh, to go over to these new lands called the Americas. So uh, King Louis' brother, Philippe, put King Louis, his brother, up on game and said, why don't you have the prisoners do it? And I'll interview them and all of that jazz to see if they qualify. So yes, some of those indentured servants were also um, prisoners who were serving out their prison sentence. Okay? All right. Uh, the desperate conditions of the poor whites of Britain was the most obvious in the cities. The English slums of the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries were pits of white sufferings. London St. Giles was known locally as Rat's Castle. A policeman who worked the area used metaphors from the insect world to describe the conditions of the poor whites there, referring to them as vermin-hunted heaps of rags. Opening the door to a tiny shack, the policeman discovered. Uh, 10, 20, 30, who could count them? Men, women, and children, for the most part naked, heaped upon the floor like maggots in a cheese, a spectral rising, unshrouded from a grave of rags. Um, Herman Melville, in his autobiography, account of his first voyage as a sailor, described the same living death in the English port city of Liverpool in 1839, okay? So I'm just going over this with you so you all can see the conditions of white folks during this time period, okay? All right? So uh, a couple of more pages over, he kind of goes over the um, the condition, he continues on the conditions of whites. The English historian William Cabot, or Cobot, Cobot, sorry, Cobot, stated in 1836, the starving agricultural laborers of southern England are worse off than American Negroes. When in 1834, English farm workers in <clears throat> Dorset tried to form a union in order to preserve ourselves, our wives, and our children from starvation, they were shipped <clears throat> into slavery in Australia for this crime. All right, so <clears throat> I know some of you Hear the stories of how whites got to Australia. And <clears throat> you probably should have also heard that they were saying that Australia was a prison pretty much for criminals. 
All right. Now, remember, he's saying this in 1836. All right. So, um, right around that time, I would say the late, uh, that's about right, mid-1800s, um, whites did actually started to take the seat of power on those uh, European empires. Okay. Um, so then, uh, as the lords obtained their rights against the king, as formalized in the Magna Carta, they used them to expropriate the land rights of the yeomen by means of writ of novel desitin and what historian Rodney Hilton described as other lawyer traps. Ownership was transferred to the lords. The people were allowed to remain on their ancestral land with something akin to sharecropper status. Now I'm going to go back. Let me sip my water. Yeah, maybe because I'm yelling. <laughs> I'm getting hoarse. <laughs> Melanated people. Melanated people. Did you just hear what they said regarding the sharecropper status? And when I talk to melanated people whose family own oh, acres and acres and acres of land in the South, okay, I haven't talked to too many people up North whose family own acres of land up north, and I'm sure they did. I'm just telling you what my experience is. You can typically still find that today in the south. And when you ask them, how did your family get all that land? The first thing they say, they were sharecroppers and they were able to buy it. They came out of slavery and they bought the land. So I'm scratching my locks like that does uh, that doesn't add up. If they just came out of slavery, how were they able to afford acres and acres and acres of land? So I'm going to reread that sentence again, and I want you, as I am rereading these sentences, go back to what they're saying. The concept and the reasoning behind reparations are. ADOS, I want you to pay attention on why your argument for reparations is severely flawed. As the Lords obtained their rights against the king as formalized in the Magna Carta, they used them to expropriate the land rights of the yeoman by means of the writ of novel dissident and what historian Rodney Hilton described as a lawyer's trap. Ownership was transferred to the lords. The people were allowed to remain on their ancestral lands with something akin to a sharecropper status. So now I'm going to apply this to the Americas. 
Reparations, remember your argument. ADOS, remember your argument. So these sharecroppers, wait a minute, you mean they were on their ancestral land? So how could you be a slave out of Africa if you're on ancestrals, your ancestors' land? Remember your argument, folks. Remember your argument. And as um, Brother Lee Cummings said in his book, that the quote, quote, elite, they know, they know this information. They know that melanated people held the seat of power. They know that most of Black, a.k.a. misclassified as African-Americans, were indigenous to the land. And the ones that were not indigenous to the land were melanated Europeans. And then the other small percentage, small percentage were Africans. Okay, so just so we won't get caught up and folks can learn a new word, yeo man, I'm going to the etymology dictionary because he did uh, give the description of a yeo man. Uh, It just simply means attendant in a noble household of unknown uh, origins, perhaps a contradiction of old English. Uh, meaning young man or from an unrecorded old English geo man, equivalent of old uh, villager from old English, blah, blah, blah. Sense of commoner who cultivates his land is recorded from early 15th century. Also, the third order of fighting men. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Okay. Okay, so I'm just giving you the uh, definition of when he talked about the yeo man. Okay, so it's an English word. So basically, they're pretty much saying that even over in England, they were giving folks the sharecropper status, having them work their own ancestral land because the king had pretty much you might as well say taking the possession of their land. All right? So they just brought the same system over to the Americas. So the Yeo man translated to sharecropper over here. All right. So by the 17th century, um, even this Tenancy was being eroded by the introduction of the enclosure laws, which fenced off land heretofore farmed in common by the people as the landlords began to enforce their property rights. The net effect of the enclosure, though it was first slow in coming, was the eviction of the people from the land, a process begun towards the end of Elizabeth's reign, necessitating the first poor relief law for able-bodied, unemployed persons known as the uh, 43rd. 
Elizabeth. After the year of her reign in which it had been enacted in 1601. Okay, so you see here they're uh, basically describing how over in Europe they came in and pretty much took indigenous people's lands and had other people working the land for the promise of being able to own that land, but ultimately uh, they started kicking folks off the land, right? So that same system was also brought over to the Americas, okay? Now remember again, reparations, remember your argument, ADOS, remember your argument, Right now, just these couple of sources that I'm going through, the African has not been in play. All right. Okay, so to alleviate the system, uh, the symptoms of the land dispossession, four systems of bondage would evolve poor relief, white slavery in the colonies, the workhouse, the factory system. They would all develop their special horrors, each justified by pointing to the evil intrinsic in the previous scheme to help the poor. All right. Now, I want y'all to let's go back real quick to that article, uh, that BBC article and all of those congressmen and congresswomen and presidential candidates that we're talking about what would they do for reparations. And all of them were talking about relief for the poor. Okay? Relief for the poor. That's what all of them pretty much said. Maybe one or two talked about a payout, but for the most part, it was called relief for the poor. So now help help me to understand what is different. What are they proposing differently than what they did back in the 16s, the 17s, the 1800s? It's the same thing because it's the same formula. It's the same script. And it wasn't about color. It was about statue. So meaning it was about whose bloodline you tied to. And if your bloodline did not tie back to these European thrones, or you were titled or knighted by these thrones, a.k.a. they boys in them, that were put into play to manage their estates. This is what you're offered. Relief to the poor. And you fit into two categories. The first is that your people were on those lands for thousands, if not millions of years. And you are the victim of colonization and theft 
And the theft was your ancestral land, your way of life, the very freedom. That theft of the land put your generation in poverty up until this day. The other categories are you were either either brought to a foreign land under the guise of a contract to work the land and maybe one day to own a piece of the land. Or you were brought over to work off a prison sentence. And in either case, wealth was not received. All right? So a lot of those indenture serving contracts, when it regarded having a piece of the land as a form of payment, rarely ever happened. And people wind up being thrown off the land. Just like folks with the ancestral land, whose folks had that land for thousands and thousands, if not millions of years, were thrown off their land after the defeat of war, or the new system, the European new system, ushered into place by their statutes, codes, and laws, who had land taken from them through the new system. The category, the last category, which it is so small, it is so minute, but it is the crutch. It is the foundation of the argument for reparations and the foundation of the ADOS is the African slave. And that was very, 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 very small. So what I am saying to you in essence is reparations argument and ADOS arguments. You have to prove it. You have to prove that your ancestors suffered under slavery So when I say prove it, that means you better have those records. You better know when your ancestors hit these shores. You better have the specific ship manifest of your ancestors coming over. And I'm going to tell you something. More than likely, you're going to see a ship manifest coming from Europe. But your argument is you are the descendants of African slaves, so you have to prove it. So meaning you have to show a ship voyage from Africa to the Americas. And even if you want to say, well, yeah, uh, they came from a ship from Europe to the Americas, but I know they came from Africa first. Okay, well, that no part. Show, show that part. Show the voyage from Africa 
to Europe to the Americas. Because that the, the, the crutch of the reparations conversation and the ADOS conversation is you are descendants of African slaves. And I am telling you, you have to prove it. Now, the second piece of this is, and the most important piece, for melanated people and for Caucasian people. Let's start with the melanated people. Melanated people, you need to do your history of your family lineage. Because a blanket statement saying that you are a descendant of African slaves, it just don't fly. You have to specifically know who you are. Did your folk come from Africa? If so, where's the ship manifest? Start tracing those ancestors all the way back. Find those ship manifests to prove that they came from Africa. If it traces back to Europe, it is what it is. Your folks came to the Americas from Europe. All right? If you don't see the Europe, you just see, oh, my folks had the title of Indian. And then it was switched. That means your folks are indigenous to the land. Or it's the case, oh, wait a minute. Some of my ancestors were melanated Europeans and some were indigenous to the land, a.k.a. Indians. Then that's your folk story. And those of you that have the quote-unquote American Indian lineage, how is your plight to reparations a payout when your family was the one thrown off of their ancestral land? How is a payment going to rectify the loss of your family's ancestral land. And you individually look at the particular plight of your family today and in the past, and you see the associated poverty, some leaving the South, going up North, only to be put into projects, quote, quote, housing government projects. But yet, your family's ancestral land that had been in your family for thousands, if not millions of years. So a reparation check, that's going to compensate for that? That one-time payment? It's going to compensate for that. And I've heard many people come out to say, uh, and, and melanated people at that, which if I dug into their lineage, if I had all of the information, 
those that have position and power can make the statement of what dollar amount is appropriate for black Americans to receive are more than likely melanated Europeans whose family lineage probably ties back to some of those uh, melanated empires or whose family lineage ties back to they boys in them, those noblemen who were given the position of power to manage the estates of those melanated kings and queens who came and stole the land of the melanated indigenous people. So when you hear these folks talking about, oh, well, there should be a one-time payment. I heard <clears throat> as high as $100,000. Oh, wait a minute. So I'm going to say to the American indigenous Indian, you mean to tell me that $100,000 compensates you for land theft of generations after generations <clears throat> upon your family? Where these invaders, the European thrones, have made trillions and are still making trillions off of your land inheritance. Caucasians, white Americans. If they're talking reparations, do you know your family's lineage? Do you know when your family hit these shores of the Americas? Do you know what plight they were under? Did they fit into the category that worked the lands <clears throat> and their conditions of poverty continued? That they never received their promise? of a piece of the land puzzle? Do you think you have a claim for reparations? So, you know, these are the things and these are the honest conversations that should be had regarding reparations. This is why when the conversation of reparations comes into play with, quote, quote, black Americans, quote, quote, African Americans, why it's always danced around. Because it's very foundation. It's a lie. It's a total lie. And it's better for that lie to continue because when the truth is discovered, that changes the game. That also changes who is ultimately responsible. Who is the true ancestral caretakers of their indigenous land. Okay. So at the end of the day, 
why they want to put this ADOS conversation about African slaves. You also have them continuously pushing the narrative of, oh, let's go back to Ghana. Let's go back to Africa. When it is known that they tried this crap with Liberia over in West Africa. Matter of fact, all of West Africa pretty much. Go look it up. Charters were set up by those same particular kings to colonize Africa. Liberia is one of them. Sierra Leone was another one. Go look up Negro land. You'll see, you'll find out the particular company that funded the venture to colonize Africa. And specifically, what they wanted to do in the case of Liberia was to take who they say, quote, quote, were freed slaves to go over to Liberia and colonize. And just like over here in the Americas, Liberia, they already had an indigenous people there. Let's talk about those free slaves. Those quote, quote, free slaves. You go down those list of the free slaves and you find out they were black Europeans. And you also look at the names of those free slaves. Hmm. And guess what I found? At least one of them that held the position was a steward. Hmm. Who was the steward? That's the bloodline of King James Ross Stewart. So it was the same game over in Africa with the colonization of Africa. It's always the same game, family. It's always the same script. Only thing they did in the late 1800s on forward was switch out the color and just scrubbed history and put the quote, quote, white man as the villain. When in fact, the quote, quote, white man didn't even have the power. Okay. So um, I hope you all found this useful Um, You know, I I put out this information to give specifics on the reparation conversation. So I hope that this helped someone and I wish everyone well. Peace and love, family.